and we are back with another edition of Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. I'm your host, Paul Thompson, and I'm joined this week by Ingrid Burnett, the District 19 State Rep for the Missouri House of Representatives. Burnett was elected in November of 2016 and has just begun her second session in the legislature. In our conversation, we discuss what she's learned over her first year in Jefferson City. We talk about the first bill she's ever filed, HB 1418, which would increase the penalty for animal abuse from a Class A misdemeanor to a Class E felony. We also discuss the elephant in the room, Governor Eric Greitens, though we don't jump into the salacious details of his personal life. Instead, we talk about the investigation from Josh Hawley, who is looking into the use of Confide, a text messaging app that deletes messages after they're read and prevents users from taking screenshots of messages. Burnett has sponsored House Bill 2059, which addresses how the Sunshine Law relates to data exchange on government-issued cell phones. I ask her about several more bills she's co-sponsored, including one that would allow those over the age of 75 to be excused from jury duty without cause, another to authorize tax credits for contraception costs, and yet another that prohibits discrimination based on a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. We talk a little bit about process, how a bill is created, what happens to it after it's filed, and how a bill goes through the committee process. We also touch briefly on bills seeking to address the limits of lobbyist gifts, a bill hoping to address procedures related to the formation of transportation development districts, which have become popular in Kansas City. And finally, I asked Burnett whether she anticipates anything happening related to short-term rentals, a debate that's going on in Kansas City, Missouri City Hall right now that would create regulations for platforms such as Airbnb and HomeAway. Without further ado, here's my conversation with District 19 State Rep, Ingrid Burnett. All right, uh, Paul Thompson, host of the Northeast Newscast, sitting alongside District 19 uh, Missouri State Rep, Ingrid Burnett. Thank you so much for taking the time today. How are you? I'm doing well, Paul. Thank you. And I appreciate the tea. Uh, We're sitting here in your home, and uh, I'm very thankful for that. So I appreciate you being willing to sit down and being so inviting. To start things off, I just wanted to go ahead and ask you about the state of Jefferson City. Now, do you feel like there's hope for bipartisan legislation this year? You're getting ready to start your your second session, right? I'm getting ready to start. We we have started the second session. Uh, Right now, things are in a bit of a mess (laughs) due to the uh, shenanigans that are going on around the governor. And we'll ask you more about that. Yes. And how that has impacted both parties and in terms of uh, everybody, it's, it's all so mixed in terms right. of there are people in both parties who are calling for a resignation. There are people in both parties who are saying, hold off, wait, mm-hmm. we need to get more information, make sure this is true. Um, and there's some uncertainty there's lots of rumors going around that he's going to resign and then that will cause a shake-up in the leadership obviously and um, may change the culture probably Mm. will change the culture if that happens is there a sense that generally speaking representatives are in favor of his vision that he's laid out for missouri I didn't hear much vision this time. Mm-hmm. I, he talked about helping foster children. Of course, everybody wants to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, who's not for helping <laughs> to foster for kids? Um, 
and he talked about uh, helping veterans, I think. Um, it, it was, he, oh, and he talked about cutting taxes. And I, I think, again, on both sides of the aisle, we've got some, uh, some opposition to any more tax cuts because of the state that our budget is in right now. Right. So depending on if we stay in this kind of state of kind of uncertainty, I think it's going to make it much more difficult to get any legislation pushed through. Um, but if that changes and things stabilize, then it's going, there's going to be a change. And I think opportunity for bipartisan, more bipartisan work. Okay. Now you, so you were elected at the tail end of 2016. Mm -hmm. You, you went through the first term. I think we kind of talked before we started here just about how much comes at you. I think you used the term tsunami of just information that, that comes just swarming over you when you, when you get down to the Capitol, you've had a chance to kind of soak all that in. What are some of the big lessons you learned during your, your first year in the legislature? It's important to talk to people. It's important to talk to people who are on committees with you. It's important to talk to people who are following certain legislation, maybe um, lobbyists or maybe governmental relations people who are who are really more associated with associations. So mm-hmm. they, they're not really there to, to lobby as much as they are there to kind of watchdog and have information for you. That's the biggest thing. Keeping up those lines of communication mm-hmm. is really important. Yeah. Well, I did want to ask you, you had the opportunity to file your, your first bill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, HB 1418 which would increase the penalty for animal abuse from a Class A misdemeanor to a Class E felony. I think there's some language that would rise or increase the penalty for extenuating circumstances, someone who tortures an animal while it's, while it's alive or somebody who's had a second offense or something of that nature. Second offense, right. Right. Um, so what kind of a penalty in terms of monetary or potential prison time does a Class E felony so Carry. class E felony is the that's the lowest form, and just recently added actually just um, in twenty seventeen January mm. of twenty seventeen, and that carries a, a possible sentence of four years in prison, or um, up to a ten thousand dollar fine. Wow, that can uh, that would be the maximum. It could also just be probation, depending on how the judge determines the sentence. The judge has the authority to to impose a sentence that he thinks is, or she thinks is um, appropriate for. And a class A misdemeanor, is that then, is that oftentimes lead to a probation or something of that nature? Yes. Yes. So, um, class A misdemeanor is a, it, it, up to a year in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a um, hundred dollar fine. It seems like it's, it would be yeah. pretty rare to serve prison time for a, a, misdeme- a class A misdemeanor like that, though. It would be yeah. yes. So, I, I doing a little bit of research. Um, it puts 
animal abuse, intentional animal abuse, in the same category as a third-degree domestic assault. Right. No, yeah, I think that's... Well, I guess I'll ask you, instead of interjecting my opinion here, what, what kind of response has the bill gotten? Interesting that you should ask. I really just... I did not go there with the intent to do this. I'm not a particular animal advocate, but I was approached by a constituent who asked me to. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important, as when you're the representative for your district, I think it's important to help your constituents access state government. And this is a way to do that. They come to you and say, could you file this bill and you think it's reasonable? I think that's a reasonable thing for me to do. Um... I don't know how much influence I'm going to be able to exert over this because it, because we're in the super minority and right. the priorities of the majority party are not around protecting animals. Right. Well, <laughs> well they might not disagree. They're right. not going to push it to the top of the list probably. Right. Yeah. Um, but I have heard from people all over the state who have picked this up mm-hmm. who are really um, – they're. They're really happy right. that I did this. I haven't heard from anybody yet who's against it. But again, you know. Seems like it would be a pretty unpopular view. Who you, can you be against animals, right? right. Yeah. You don't want to be on the record, at least. Puppy dogs and, right. and cats. But I was just, I really was quite surprised by the uh, the people who reached out to me who had heard about it. I didn't think anybody would even notice. Right. But. I- and we mentioned before, I mean, there's upwards of a thousand bills that have been filed. I'm sure it would be easy for things to get lost in the shuffle there. So it's it's sure. cool that people have reached out to you. Can so it you... may get some play. It may, uh, it, the next step in that would be to go talk to um, representatives in, a, in, you know, in other districts, people who would uh, perhaps be on the committee that it gets appointed to. And um, essentially try to whip some boats up, right? See if they see what their interest is. Yes, yeah. this is something they want to help me with, and if they do, then uh, what? How do we work together to push it along? Right. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the process of crafting the bill as well, because I'm kind of fascinated by that. You hear from a constituent; they say that they're interested in increasing the penalty for animal abuse. So then, what? So I go down to the, we have a research department, and I go to the research department, and I ask them to, the first thing I asked was for them to see what the penalties are currently, um, because it might, they might be enough. Right. There's, right. Just because somebody brings something up doesn't mean they right. have their facts in a row. So, the, so that was my, that was, that was my response to the constituent. I will look into this, and I will let you know what I find out. What I found out was that it was a class A misdemeanor, and that it could be moved up to a class E felony, mm-hmm. and um, then research the people in research write up a, the, a, a bill, a draft mm-hmm. of the bill, and if it's what I want it to be, and this one was pretty simple and straightforward, then you sign it, and I go file it with the clerk's office, and then it goes on the list of bills that have been filed, and. Um, so how do you get a bill that you filed into a committee? Well, first you go, so it goes on this list, and in the next day in the House Journal, it's listed as first read. Mm-hmm. That means it's up there, it's filed, everybody has a chance to read it. Mm-hmm. Then it goes the gets put on again the next day, and that's called second read. Mm-hmm. After it's been second read, 
you can write a letter to the speaker and ask the speaker to assign it to a committee, mm-hmm. which is what I did. Are they obligated to respond? They're not. <laughs> so sometimes I'm sure if it's unpopular or if Often it's an opposition. That's where bills die. Right. You send the letter and they say, let me file that, and they throw it in the trash. The first time it gets filed, especially. Bills that pass usually have been filed for multiple years before they even get a hearing. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if they're on big topics. uh, And then they may get a hearing. and So so if you get a hearing, Mm -hmm. then... um, that committee votes on it. If it if that committee votes at votes it out of committee, it goes back to the speaker and this floor leader, and they decide when it goes on the calendar for the house to discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, the house then the first time it, it's discussed is called perfection, mm-hmm. and during that time amendments can be added or language can be altered. Right. Yeah. And that's all done usually by voice vote. It has to sit then for another um, 24 hours mm-hmm. and can be read again. It's called third read. At third read, there's no amendments added. It's an up or down vote. You can still discuss it, It's an, but nobody can change it. If it passes through that process, then it goes over to the Senate, where the Senate takes it up in committee, and they go through their own their own processes. Their own process. If it makes it through the Senate with no changes, then it goes directly to the governor. If there are changes made, it comes back to the House for mm-hmm. the House to approve. If the right. House doesn't approve the Senate version, then it goes to what's called conference committee, where... Um, sort of like an arbitration of sorts, yes, right? Senators and uh, House members come together, decide on a version. That version goes to both chambers where it receives an up or down vote. So, and well, so there's an example. Well, here's something from uh, one of the, the questions down the list here, but I think I'm going to move it forward now okay. because it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about. There are several bills that I that I saw that have been filed related to the legalization of marijuana, either for medical use. I think most of them are for medical use. But um, in Kansas City, voters here essentially voted to decriminalize the drug last year by setting the maximum fine for first-time offenders at $25 and kind of classifying it as the lowest priority for KCPD. But what happens in, in that instance where there's three, four bills related to the same subject? Are they directed to work together to put something... No, they are not directed to work together, and they may not even know about it until they come up for discussion. You could hypothetically file them simultaneously, right? You could. Right. Mm -hmm. So what happens in that instance, typically? Well, I haven't looked at those particular Mm -hmm. bills, so I don't know the specifics of what you're asking, but you mean if they... If, if three bills tackling the same subject come up at the same time, and with the in the same, does a preferred candidate usually come forward, or does a preferred bill come forward and and, and kind of make the process through the House into the Senate typically, or or can you push forward multiple bills at the same time related to the same subject? You can. Does you that can. happen often? I haven't seen that happen often, but here's an example mm-hmm. uh, that we heard in committee. They're uh, in the education committee. Mm-hmm. One bill was a bill to allow for a or require that each school district um, develop an appeal process 
if their child, if a, if a student doesn't get placed in a gifted and talented program, mm-hmm. the parent and the parent wants to appeal that, the school district will be required to have an appeal process in place for that. Mm-hmm. The second bill was to allow for or was to require school districts to put together, to have a process, to develop a process that would um, permit students who are, in, who are in a gifted and talented program to skip a grade. Hmm. And that bill also included the appeal process. Hmm. So we passed both. Okay. So they could both technically could both be sent te- to the governor and be passed? Yes. Okay. Well, would that create a conflict? No, because they both say essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. So when it then gets written into the state statutes, it just gets written in once. Okay. Interesting. So there we go. I appreciate the uh, clarification on that one. Um, I also wanted to talk to you about the other bills you've co-sponsored. So you're... You're the sponsor of HB 1418, that's the animal abuse mm-hmm. legislation. You co-sponsored HB 2063, which would allow those over the age of 75 to be excused from jury duty without cause. I guess I just, and, and there's a couple more on here too, uh, HB 2093 um, was tax credits for contraception costs, uh, HB 2100 prohibits, prohibits discrimination based on a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. So I guess I just wanted to ask, I asked about the process of crafting your own legislation, but how do you get involved as a co-sponsor? Oh, that's very easy. Um, you you can look at the list of bills. I have a, an app on my computer mm-hmm. that says co-sponsor. And it's just, you can look up bills by the who the sponsor is or by subject or just, you know, look up the whole list if you want to. I was... Uh, I also get a copy of the House Journal each day mm-hmm. for the day before. And listed in the House Journal are all of the bills that have been first read or second read. Okay. And they include in that list um, bill blah, 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 relating to, and then it gives a subject. So mm-hmm. I scan it, see if there's a subject there that I'm interested in, and then I go look up the bill to see what it says. And then I can go into this co-sponsor app and just... So you don't have to actually even have a dialogue with the sponsor. I don't. You can Um, just say, oh, that's a good legislation. Another way to do that, and and I've uh, had this happen also, is people might send out emails. Saying, hey, I'm looking for co-sponsors for this bill. And the more co-sponsors you have ostensibly would give you a better shot of it maybe does. getting to the floor. It makes a good, yes, it may, and I think it makes a good talking point when you present it to the committee. Especially if it's bipartisan, you say, hey, I got right, eight Republicans and six this. Democrats on board as co-sponsors. Mm-hmm. I think that shows that mm-hmm. there's a willingness and uh, perhaps that, right. that this thing would actually carry weight, enough weight to get through. And I, in years past, they say it used to be you had to carry your bill around from person to person to ask for mm-hmm. them to co-sponsor it. I've had that happen just a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, for pe- from people who are really passionate about it, and it, it, I think that's a good practice. I did that. I I filed a resolution to recognize School Counselor Week, mm-hmm. and I went to the committee chair of education and asked her before I even filed it. I went to her and said, "I'm going to 
getting ready to file this resolution. Can you help me with this? Is this something that you would support? Mm-hmm. She was very supportive. Absolutely. Uh, I offered to let her carry it if she wanted to, and she was very gracious and said, no, it's your idea. You file it, (laughs) and I'll help you. Nice. Uh, So when she filed a bill and wrote a letter to the speaker asking for him to move her legislation to committee, she asked that in the same letter that it be sent also with mine. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, to the same committee at the same time, hmm. so they could. Her, her bill has to do with um, counselor. It's, it's much more detailed and substantial than a resolution, <laughs> but um, but it has to do with counseling programs in the state of Missouri and how they are structured. And so she was hmm. just asking that they both be heard in committee at the same be be sent to committee at the same time. Hmm. And it was <laughs> well good and. Hopefully that one has a, a decent. I think it does. There wouldn't be too many roadblocks. I went to a, a couple of the Republicans on the committee. I've been to my Democrat colleagues. They've all agreed that they would support it. Then I went to a couple of the Republicans on the committee and asked them if they would be in favor of it, and they have told me yes. I just think, particularly if you're in the minority, that's a good practice. Right. To approach the folks who might be suspicious and it gives you a chance to have a one-on-one conversation look this really (laughs) right it's not controversial right (laughs) yeah um and i think it opens up a dialogue so Mm -hmm. maybe if they have something that they're looking for bipartisan support for they'll reach out to you exactly and you may if it's not what you you know if it doesn't fit what you think you or your constituents want you can say no but there's a dialogue it opens that door or you can maybe offer an amendment before they get a chance right to um you know before it becomes a fight on the floor essentially right Right. Good. Well, I guess let's... No no time like the present to uh, get back to the elephant in the room. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you more about Governor Eric Greitens. Uh, I will refrain, refrain from diving into the salacious details of his personal life. But I did want to talk about the ongoing investigation being conducted by Attorney General Josh Hawley into the use of Confide. So that's a text messaging app that deletes messages after they're read. It also prevents people from taking a screenshot of a message with their phones. Kind of sneaky, isn't it? Well, it's called confide. I, it seems like that's the point. But yeah, um, <laughs> to that end, I saw that you one of the, the bills that you did co-sponsor is HB 2059, which would essentially seems to be addressing exactly the situation. Um, it, it relates to how the Sunshine Law um, handles data exchange on government-issued cell phones. So I guess I'll just ask, what have you heard, if anything, about the state of that investigation? I have not heard anything about where that investigation is. Uh, um, My own experience, though, even on the school board, it wasn't just about the government-issued cell phones or computers even on my own personal computer I was cautioned over and over and over again about what I should what kinds of information I should share Mm -hmm. in email or in documents that it's all potentially searchable it just that essentially, it seems like the the general rule of thumb is um, 
assume that you're just tweeting it right, right now right. and that everybody reads it. And then if you don't think that, that you want everybody to read it, then don't send it in an email. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Don't and, discuss it. And and even you know, when you're dealing when you're when you're discussing or or um, dealing with official business, well, even if it's on paper, you have to save a copy. Right. But you you want to make sure that it's gonna not gonna be all mixed up with everything else that, of mm-hmm. your personal stuff. Uh, there were just there was a lot of coaching around how to handle that, and none of it included. The, Using something that would using invisible ink. Yeah, right. And that's what that's well said. It really is what's happening. You're you're writing notes to each other with invisible ink, and ostensibly that includes government information being passed back and forth. But I guess that's what this investigation is looking into. But in your opinion, are those text message text messages that go through the Confide app should they be considered public records or are they considered public records right now or is there some gray area there my opinion i i think they should be considered as public record so does that mean using an app that deletes them would be illegal at yes, this point i believe so but is that what this hb2059 does that just clarify that then i think so, so. yes because right now I'm assuming there's nothing on the books that relates directly to confide, right? I right, mean, and well, I, you know, what I, I've learned, what I know, I've learned through the media, and right. what the media is reporting is that there's some gray area there. That the um, there's no specific language related to, to applications right. that are deleting messages, right? Until now, I guess, and now you propose. And something. I think that Representative Elbrock. Is, that's what he's that that's his point mm-hmm. in filing this is to okay then let's make it let's make it clear if there is some gray area let's mm-hmm. get rid of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's eliminate the gray area and, and make it essentially put it on the books and I think that's good we have discussions like this all of the time in committee around bills about do we really want to say this or do we want to say it this way we have changed the place of commas on the House floor through mm-hmm. through amendments <laughs> because once it makes it to the House floor, you, that's the only way you can. You, right. We have added commas. We've taken out commas. But, uh, you know, that book, Eat, Shoots, and Leaves, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's a book on punctuation. Oh. And depending on where you put the commas, you're either talking about a terrorist or a panda. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very important. It, it is. It is. And so I, that's why I sponsored, co-sponsored that that piece of legislation. I'm having an education background. I think the words you use are very important. Mm-hmm. Well, funny. And and on that one, is that something that you've heard anything about in terms of possible momentum? I haven't. I have not heard anything about it at all. I don't even know what committee it might go through or if it will be assigned to committee. Uh, again, I, you know, Mark is one of the Democrats in the super minority, and he um, he has had some pretty controversial appearances in the floor debate. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much um, I don't know how much support he's going to get. For one thing, there may be some love lost, and um, right, mm-hmm. I. It's gonna. It would depend on him to do the the footwork and the legwork. 
With, so I guess we'll see. To be to be determined. Right. right. I I have heard of um, legislators who, you know, they just continue to pester the the speaker until he assigns their bills to committees. Squeaky wheel gets oil. Mm-hmm. Well, well, in the interest of not taking up too much of your time, we're coming up on a half hour now. Okay. Um, I'll maybe just go through a couple of quick hits and, okay. and see if you can speak to them at all. Uh, HB 1234 would address procedures related to the formation of transportation development districts. Do you Have you heard anything about that? And, you, and do you know if that might affect TDDs that are already established in Kansas City? That's, they've been a lot more common. Uh, most recently, Main Street created a TDT mm-hmm, uh, for mm-hmm. potentially extending the streetcar line southbound. Is that something that you've heard anything about, that HB 1234? That has not come up yet. I expect that that will go through local government committee, which is where I sit. Mm-hmm. So um, so you might have a, close, a first-hand look at that. I probably will and would uh, be happy to share that with you okay. when it comes up. Good. Um, also, I know that's important to people here in Kansas City. Right. And, you know, there's been a lot of TDDs created in Kansas City. So if mm-hmm. there is some reform there, I think it could potentially impact Kansas City. Absolutely. And yeah. I don't know if it would be able to impact ones that have already been created, but uh, people are doing studies and, and moving that way right now. So I think people would be very interested to find out. Also wanted to ask you about HB 1303. We talked a little uh, briefly about that before we, we got on the record here. That one would seek to limit lobbyist gifts. And I, I just wanted to ask briefly how much influence lobbyists have in Jefferson City right now, how big of a factor gifts from lawmakers are, and do you think HB 1303 goes far enough to, to address that problem, if indeed that one exists? I think – so that's several different questions. It is. I I'm think sorry. that lobbyists have a lot of influence, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think lobbyists are – their primary service – is providing information about how legislation will impact their client. Mm-hmm. And um, I I have not ever had a lobbyist come to me and demand that I vote one way or another. Mm-hmm. What they've come to offer me is advice right. on this is what we foresee happening and we've and to tell me conversations that they've had with other legislators and that are, you know that are permissible mm-hmm. um i think the bigger problem in terms of ethics and ethics reform has more to do with the dark money campaign contributions right and how we are forbidden at that? this at the house and when we are in the um Capitol building, we may not discuss even among ourselves campaign uh-huh. anything. We cannot use our computers for that. We cannot use our phones for that. We can't use our staff uh-huh. for that. Any conversation or activity that we do that is campaign related must be done outside of the Capitol building. Okay. So when you've got, and that's where you interact with the lobbyists, <laughs> is in the building. Right. And they are not going to risk. Right. Their livelihoods. Right. They don't want to be featured in a news article right. about impropriety. Either, and they right? don't want to have that. They don't want to do that to you either because they, you know. It's they, a working relationship. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but that dark money, and they don't give that much. I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't. I don't think lobbyists themselves give that much 
campaign contributions. What they do is let their clients know um, which they, way the wind is blowing. Right, they right. can influence their clients right. to give money. And depending on the kind of uh, rules that we have around it, they get, it can give, it can become very secretive very quickly with with a tremendous impact. And that's the part I think that we really need to be working on, and nobody seems to have the political will to do it. Has anybody filed any legislation no. related to dark money? No. And I don't know if you dug into that one or not, but um, it excludes campaign contributions. So it's pretty it's toothless a, then, right? Right. <laughs> right. right. It, it, it's but more it's about pomp the, and circumstance than actually reform, isn't it? It is. And, it, and it's not really the lobbyists who give the campaign contributions anyway. It's their principles that they work for. But, hmm. um, yes, one of the exclusions as a gift is campaign contributions, contributions to their campaign accounts. So, uh, um, yeah, this is good in... It looks better than it really is, right? Yeah. Hmm. So I guess you would say it doesn't go far enough. <laughs> yeah. It really doesn't go far enough. <laughs> Um, one of the big issues coming through City Hall right now in Kansas City, and, and I'll leave it at this one because we just popped over 30 minutes, is short-term rentals, Airbnbs, HomeAway, the services by which are the platforms by which individuals will go travel to another city, and instead of going to a hotel, they'll go stay in somebody's mm-hmm. home for mm-hmm. usually a lesser fee. Um, but in Kansas City right now, it's kind of a wild, wild west. There There aren't laws on the books related to short-term rentals, which means that technically it's illegal in Kansas City. I They're think, working on that, but yeah, I think what we'll see is um, an effort to preempt municipalities from enacting ordinances relating to short-term rentals. And how might they tackle that? And uh, well, they would just prohibit that. But then I think it's with the intent then to do, if anything, a statewide kind of. Uh, regulation. So, I, so in that the the state can maybe get a piece of the pie in terms of partly taxes or something of that nature. Partly that I'm sure, uh, although um, the it would probably have more to do with fees. Um, but mostly, I think to have a uniform code across the state. That was the problem that we had with Uber, mm-hmm. and it's a very similar issue, right? Mm-hmm. That there were instances where you could hire an Uber to take you from uh, from one municipality to another but couldn't return do the return trip yeah because it, it because wasn't of per- the, prohibited or right it because wasn't of the way that they were stru- their ordinances were structured and it was very confusing and and disruptive um, to the customers and to the and to the drivers and it's incon- inconvenience as mm-hmm. well well I guess, is there a concern? Because with the, the Uber debate and the the taxi Uber debate that was going on at City Hall, they kind of struck a deal, and then Uber just went to Jefferson City and struck a new deal right. with better terms. Is there some concern maybe that the same thing will happen here? Where Absolutely. The, the city, <laughs> of course there They'll is. wait to see what the city does and then say, oh, we can do a little better than that if you, if you grease that the wheels. That happens all right. the time. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. And the other thing I think we need to be careful about is how it affects the hotel industries. Mm-hmm. And that 
that are doing everything right and paying all the fees and are already regulated. Bed and breakfast, right. to a lesser degree, is the same issue. Right. And, you know, I mean, that's what and we ended up giving the taxi drivers a really raw deal, mm-hmm. I think, with the Uber bill. Uh, so there were some reasons. There were some things about that bill that I really did not like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the overall intent is going to be a uniform statewide code. Well, hopefully, hopefully Kansas City uh, doesn't get left too much in the dust right. on that one as well. But right. uh, on that note, I just want to say thank you once again. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your willingness to dive into some of these issues and well, look you. forward to doing it again. Yeah. Right? Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much. There you have it for this week's edition of Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. Thank you once again to Ingrid Burnett for participating in this week's episode. And, I guess we should say, good luck representing the historic Northeast this session down in Jefferson City. Thanks once again to everybody for listening. This is your host, Paul Thompson, signing out.